We are entering a new age in 2020. It's not like the old new age. No, you will not hear me peddling some anti-vaxxer Jenny McCarthyism bullshit. No, that's the old new age. And I'm Crystal Clear, here with more Morgulons, where we are podcasting from the new new age. The COVID times. We're living in COVID times, people. It's not good, it's not bad, it's interesting, and it is actually kind of bad. And on top of that, I have Morgulons, and I'm assuming you probably do too if you're listening to this. So, don't mean to be breaking all the bad news about the uh, new, new age, just letting you know where we're at context-wise for this episode. Okay, stay tuned! Have you ever heard anyone say that there's a Chinese curse that says... May you live in interesting times. Well, despite being widely attributed as a Chinese curse, there's no known equivalent expression in Chinese. The nearest related Chinese expression translates as, quote, better to be a dog in times of tranquility than a human in times of chaos. The expression originates from volume three of the 1627 short story collection by Feng Menglong, the stories to awaken the world. We are awake, China. We are wide awake. Uh, Thanks for letting us know. And here we are. We are the dogs of tranquility. Just kidding. We're the humans in the chaos. It is COVID-19 time, people. We are in a coronavirus pandemic and interesting times indeed. Um, If you have been watching the news recently, then you know, as I know, that the CDC has once again uh, bungled its handling of the coronavirus and its duty as a public health agency under the anti-leadership of our leaders. But this is not a political show. It is more morgulons, not more morons. Um, Although that would be a great spinoff, wouldn't it? A political podcast, more morons. Um, co-host wanted. Um, no, just kidding. I don't think I could do to politics uh, any more than I do already. Here's my point. Um, the CDC, as I've said many times, discounted, wrote off uh, Morgulon's patients in a matter of one shitty, shoddy, stupid study that they did back in, um, oh, I don't know, it took them four years to look at like 30 people um, in California. Um, But anyway, you know, that was 2012, I believe. Uh, They just put us dead in the water, basically, with that study. And again, as I've said many times, it was really on reputation alone, because if you actually read the study, it's definitely not on the research. Um, But they have unfortunately been... uh, but with the recent um, publish, publishing of the true information about the role that aerosolized uh, virus particles play in the transmission of coronavirus infection and spread, which they basically took down and were like, uh, sorry, the intern did it. Uh. And I know there's people at the CDC doing good work, but uh, the people in charge are not. <sighs> um, I read an article uh, this morning in The Atlantic Uh, published in June of this year that I found really interesting about people who have COVID um, in a chronic, they have chronic symptoms going out five months from infection. And as I've stated before in this show, you know, me and my two friends over here, well, my friend and my ex, who all have Morgulons, I believe we all probably had coronavirus around the same time. 
in mid-March. And uh, keep that in mind as I uh, go through some of the points in the uh, uh, journalism that's been done around the coronavirus in this episode today. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Okay, let's check out this article that I've been uh, tooting my horn about. Um, I don't have, like, copyright rights to read this out loud on a podcast, so Atlantic, I'm really sorry. Um, If you want me to do something different, I will do it. Otherwise, I'm going to spread your fantastic journalism. Okay, COVID-19 can last for several months. Story by Ed Young, June 4th, 2020. Um, It says, for Vonnie Leclerc, day one was March 16th. Hours after British Prime Minister Boris Johnson instated stringent social distancing measures to halt the SARS-CoV-2 coronavirus, Leclerc, a Glasgow-based journalist, arrived home feeling shivery and flushed. Over the next few days, she developed a cough, chest pain, aching joints, and prickling sensation on her skin. Interesting. After a week of bed rest, she started improving, but on day 12, every old symptom returned, amplified, and with reinforcements. She spiked an intermittent fever, lost her sense of taste and smell, and struggled to breathe. When I spoke with Leclerc on day 66, she was still experiencing waves of symptoms. Before this, I was a fit, healthy 32-year-old, she said. Now I've been reduced to not being able to stand up in the shower without feeling fatigue. I've tried going to the supermarket, and I'm in bed for days afterwards. It's like nothing I've ever experienced before. Sounds kind of like, what do you call it, chronic fatigue syndrome. Uh, But I don't know. Despite her best efforts, Leclerc has not been able to get a test. But, quote, every doctor I've spoken to said there's no shadow of a doubt that this has been COVID, she said. Today is day 80. COVID-19 has existed for less than six months, and it's easy to forget how little we know about it. The standard view is that a minority of infected people who are typically elderly or have pre-existing health problems end up in critical care requiring oxygen or a ventilator. About 80% of infections, according to the World Health Organization, are, quote, mild or asymptomatic. And patients recover after two weeks on average. Yet, support groups on Slack and Facebook host thousands of people like Leclerc who say they have been wrestling with serious COVID-19 symptoms for at least a month, if not two or three. Some call themselves, quote, long-termers or long-haulers. I interviewed nine of of them for this story, all of whom share commonalities. Most have never been admitted to an ICU or gone on a ventilator, so their cases technically count as, quote, mild. But their lives have nonetheless been flattened by relentless and rolling waves of symptoms that make it hard to concentrate, exercise, or perform simple physical tasks. Most are young. Most were previously fit and healthy. Quote, it is mild relative to dying in a hospital, but this virus has ruined my life, Leclerc said. Even reading a book is challenging and exhausting. What small joys other people are experiencing in lockdown, yoga, bread baking, Masturbating? No, she doesn't say that. Are beyond the realms of possibility for me. Bless her heart. Uh, Even though the world is consumed by concern over COVID-19, the long callers have been largely left out of the narrative and excluded from the figures that define the pandemic. I can pull up an online dashboard that reveals the numbers of confirmed cases, hospitalizations, deaths, and recoveries, but Leclerc falls into none of those categories. She and others are trapped in a statistical limbo, uncounted and thus overlooked. Oh, girl, Morgies know how you feel. We we know. Listen to how much how many similarities you start kind of picking up as this story goes on. So some have been diagnosed through tests while others like Leclerc have been told by their doctors that they almost certainly have COVID-19. Still many long haulers have faced 
Listen, disbelief from friends and medical professionals because they don't conform to the typical profile of the disease. People have questioned how they could possibly be sick for so long or whether they're just stressed or anxious. Here again, we have something where we don't have the information, knowledge, or research to understand what is going on with you yet. So therefore, let's make a huge rational leap and say that, ah, you're crazy, gotta be anxiety. Where did this come from? Where did this come from? I would love to know. It's, It's rampant though when people don't know the answer to something. Like have some humility, some curiosity, people, and imagination. Um, it feels like no one understands, said Chloe Kaplan from Washington, D.C., who works in education and is on day 78. I don't think people are aware of the middle ground where it knocks you off your feet for weeks and you neither die nor have a mild case. The notion that most cases are mild and brief bolsters the belief that only the sick and elderly need isolate themselves and that everyone else can get infected to be done with it. It establishes a framework in which not hiding from the disease looks a manageable and sensible undertaking, writes Felicity Callard, a geographer at the University of Glasgow who is on day 77. As the pandemic discourse turns to talk of a second wave, long haulers who are still grappling with the consequences of the first wave are frustrated. I've been very concerned by friends and family who just aren't taking this seriously because they think you're either asymptomatic or dead, said Hannah Davis, an artist from New York City who is on day 71. The middle ground has been hellish. Here we, so again, we see these parallels with these poor folks who are, quote, long haulers from COVID-19. And not only are they suffering from these unexplained and mysterious, you know, ongoing symptoms they're having that don't fit into the pretty little box that has been um, built for them as a, quote, coronavirus patient. And what we're hearing really from their testimonies is like how hard the, almost the worst part is the fact that no one believes them. So we can definitely relate to that. We, we see this trend in medicine. Um, really, now that I'm aware of it, I see it all over the place. It's crazy. Um, anyway, story goes on. It has, quote, been, been like nothing else on earth, said Paul Gardner, who has previously endured a dengue fever and malaria. Poor guy. And is currently on day 77 of COVID-19. Gardner, an infectious diseases professor at the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine, leads a renowned organization that reviews scientific evidence on preventing and treating infections. He tested negative on day 63. He had waited to get a COVID-19 test partly to preserve them for healthcare workers and partly because at one point he thought he was going to die. Oh, I knew I had the disease. It couldn't have been anything else, he told me. I asked him why he thought his symptoms had persisted. I honestly don't know, he said. I don't understand what's happening in my body. Yeah. Tell me about it, buddy. (coughs) Um, On March 17th, a day after Leclerc came down with her first symptoms, SARS-CoV-2 sent Fiona Lowenstein to the hospital. Nine days later, after she was discharged, she started a Slack support group for people struggling with the disease. The group, which is affiliated with a wellness organization founded by Lowenstein called Body Politic, has been a haven for long haulers. One channel for people whose symptoms have lasted longer than 30 days has more than 3,700 members. I hope that they don't end up being Morgulon's patients. The group was a savior for me, said Gina Asaf, a design consultant in Washington, D.C., who is now on day 70, 77. Uh, she and other members, uh, oh man, they're not trying to make me subscribe, are they? Um, 
Okay, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. A quarter of respondents in the body politic survey have tested negative, but that doesn't mean they don't have COVID-19. Diagnostic tests for SARS-CoV-2 miss infections up to 30% of the time, and these false negatives become more likely a week after a patient's first symptoms appear. In the body politic survey, respondents with negative test results were tested a week after those with positive ones on average, but the groups did not differ in their incidence of 60 different symptoms over time. Those matching patterns strongly suggest that those with negative tests are indeed dealing with the same disease. They also suggest that the true scope of the pandemic has been underestimated, not just because of the widespread lack of testing, but because many people who are getting tested are receiving false negatives. COVID-19 affects many different organs. That much is now clear, but in March, when many long haulers were first falling sick with gut, heart, and brain problems, the disease was still regarded as a mainly respiratory one. To date, the only neurological symptom that the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention list in its COVID-19 description is loss of taste or smell. But other neurological symptoms are common among the long haulers who answered the body politics survey. As many people reported, brain frogs. Yes, our old familiar friend, the brain frog, also known as brain fog. And concentration challenges as coughs or fevers, as many people reported those things as coughs or fevers. Some have experienced hallucinations. What, like weird shit coming out of your skin? That's not a hallucination, buddy. Hates to tell you this. I'm just kidding. I, I have no idea. But this is very interesting, these neurological after effects from the COVID virus infection. Uh, Some have experienced hallucinations, delirium, short-term memory loss, or strange vibrating sensations when they touch surfaces. Very interesting. Others are likely having problems with their sympathetic nervous system, which controls unconscious processes like heartbeats and breathing. They'll be out of breath even when their oxygen level is normal. Or experience what feels like heart attacks, even though EKG readings and chest x-rays are clear. These symptoms wax, wane, and warp over time. It really is a grab bag, said Davis, who is co-author of the Body Politics Survey. Every day you wake up, you might have a different symptom. Ho-ho, tell me about it. It's not clear why this happens. Akiko Iwasaki, an immunologist at Yale, offers three possibilities. Long haulers might still harbor infectious virus in some reservoir organ, uh, which is missed by tests that use nasal swabs, or persistent fragments of viral genes, though not infectious, may still be triggering a violent immune overreaction. As if, quote, you're reacting to a ghost of a virus, Iwasaki says. More likely the virus is gone, but the immune system having been provoked by it is stuck in a lingering overactive state. I wonder if there's any uh, parallels there between Morgulans. How many of y'all had an infection, viral or otherwise, prior to the onset of Morgulans? Um, I think I did. Um, it's hard to distinguish between these hypotheses because SARS-CoV-2 is new and because the aftermath of viral infections is poorly understood. Many diseases cause long-lasting symptoms, but these might go unnoticed as trends unless epidemics are especially large. The sheer scale of the COVID-19 pandemic, which reached more than 6 million confirmed cases worldwide in a matter of months. What are we on now? 7 million? Uh, Good job, U.S. 4% of the uh, population of the world and like 20% of cases. Nice work. Um, Means that long haulers are now finding one another in sufficient numbers to shape their own narrative. As the pandemic continues, long haulers are navigating a landscape of uncertainty and fear with a map whose landmarks don't reflect their surroundings. If your symptoms last longer than two weeks, for how long should you expect to be sick? If they differ from the official list, how do you know which ones are important? Quote, I'm acutely aware of my body at all times of the day, Leclerc told me. It shrinks your entire world to an almost reptilian response to your surroundings. Girl, we know. If you're still symptomatic, could you conceivably infect someone else if you leave your home? Right, so they're they're concerned about contagion, right? Concerned about all the uncertainty of not knowing what to be concerned about, really? Um, so Gardner, the infectious disease expert, is confident that this far out, he's not shedding live virus anymore. But Meg Hamilton, who is a nursing student, go girl, in 
uh, Odenton, Maryland, and full disclosure, my sister-in-law said that her local health department considered her to be contagious as long as she had a fever. She's on day 56 and has only had a few normal temperature readings. Bless her heart. Davis said she and her partner, who live in different apartments, talked through the risks and decided to reunite on day 59. Until then, she had been dealing with two months of COVID-19 alone. Whew, that's a long time. It's a long time to be isolated. We've all been isolated too long this year. Uh, The isolation of the pandemic has been hard enough for many healthy people, but it has exacerbated the foggy minds, intense fatigue, and perpetual fear of erratic symptoms that long haulers are also dealing with. It plays with your head, man, Gardner said. Some feel guilt over being incapacitated, even though their cases are, quote, mild. Some start doubting or blaming themselves. Don't do that. Do not do that. Do not start doubting or blaming yourself. In her fourth week of fever, Hamilton began obsessively worrying that she had been using her thermometer incorrectly. I also felt like I wasn't being mentally strong enough, and by allowing myself to say that I don't feel good, I was prolonging the fever, she said. Girl, whether or not you're dealing with post-COVID chronic symptom syndrome, whatever you want to call this, or Morgulines, let's remember the number one don't on the list of don't do's. Don't be hard on yourself. Okay. I wasn't being mentally strong enough, allowing myself, blah, blah, I was prolonged. You're not to blame. You're not to blame. And it's not a time where you need to be judged and critiqued. Enough people will do that for you. Don't do it to yourself. Okay. All right, let's move on. Then there's the matter of who to tell and when. Ooh, we know all about this one. At first, Hamilton kept the news from her parents. She didn't want them to worry, and she assumed she'd be better in two weeks. But as two weeks became three, then four, then five, the omission started feeling like an outright lie. Her concern that they would be worried morphed into concerns they would be mad. She finally told them last week. They took it well. Other long That's what we struggle with, right? Who do we tell? When? How do we say it? You know? Other, that's what happens when you have something that's not recognized by the medical community and the medical community further uh, maligns you because of it, because they don't understand it. Um, Other long callers have been frustrated by their friends and family's inability to process a prolonged illness. People know how to react to you having it or to you getting better, Leclerc said. But when symptoms are rolling instead of abating, people don't have a response they can reach for. They ask if she's improving and expectation that the answer is yes. When the answer is instead a list of ever-changing symptoms, they stop asking true. Others pivot to disbelief. I've had messages saying this is all in your head or it's anxiety, what clerk said. Those messages, I would block those numbers, girl. I would just block them. If I were you, that's what I would do. Um, Many such messages come from doctors and nurses. Shame on you, nurses. Shame on you, doctors, as well. Davis described her memory loss and brain brain fog to a neurologist who told her she had ADHD. Of course, here's some stimulants. Good luck with that. Uh, quote, you feel really scared. These are people you're trying to get serious help from, and they don't even understand your reality, she said. We do. We understand it. You, you try, try to understand ours now, if you can. Um, do y'all see what I'm getting at here? I'm going to read one little, um, one more uh, small section here. All right, I'm going to just jump in here with um, the rest of the article because I really do think there's some interesting parallels between the long haulers and the morgues. Um, come join us, y'all. Y'all are welcome here. Um, okay, so we were talking about... Okay, the lady that got diagnosed with ADHD. 
Um, she's like, we're trying to get help here. They don't even understand your reality. Va uh, Vasquez said her physicians repeatedly told her she was just having panic attacks, but she knows herself well enough to discount that. My anxiety is thought-based, but with COVID-19, quote, the physical symptoms happen first, she said. Athena Akrami, a neuroscience professor at University College of London, said two doctors suggested that she was stressed while a fellow neuroscientist told her to calm down and take antidepressants. I'm a very calm person and something is wrong in my body, said Akrami, who is now on day 79 and also is a co-author on the body politics survey. As a scientist, I understand there are so many unknowns about the virus, but as a patient, I need acknowledgement. Girl, we acknowledge you and we do too. Um, every day, Akrami said, is like being in a tunnel. To be sure, many healthcare workers are also exhausted, having spent several months fighting a new disease that they barely understand without enough masks and other protective supplies. But well before the pandemic, the healthcare profession had a long history of medical gaslighting, downplaying a patient's physical suffering as being all in their head or caused by stress or anxiety. Such dismissals particularly affect women who are, quote, less likely to be perceived as credible witnesses to our own experiences. Uh-huh. Me too. She too. He too, y'all. Um, and they're especially common when women have subjective symptoms like pain and, for, and or fatigue, as most long callers do. When Garner wrote about those same symptoms, that's the British dude that was the infectious disease specialist, for the British Medical Journal's blog, I had an unbelievable feeling of relief. Callard, the geographer, told me, since he's a guy and a professor of infectious disease, he has the kind of epistemic authority that will be harder to discount. Epistemology is like the study of knowledge. Um... Gardner's description of his illness are similar to those of many long haulers who have been taken less seriously. It wasn't like he wrote those posts in some arcane language that's steeped in authority, said Sarah Ramey, a musician and author in Washington, D.C. If you took his words, put my name on them, and put them up on Medium, people would say, Ugh, who is this person and what is she talking about? Girl, we know. We all know how unfair life is as a woman. Sorry. It's kind of like the reality. If you want to change it, then just keep blabbering away. It's all we can really do. Just keep talking. Keep telling your story. Don't, don't back down. Don't back down. Um, anyway, what's this person talking about? Ramey can empathize with long callers. In her memoir, The Lady's Handbook for Her Mysterious Illness, she writes about her 17-year ordeal of excruciating pain, crushing fatigue, gastrocatastrophes, and medical gaslighting. Oh, being isolated and homebound, incredible economic insecurity, the government not doing enough, testing not being up to snuff, all of that is a lived experience of someone like me for decades. And like the Morgies. The illness itself is horrible and ravaging, but being told you've made it up over and over again is by far the worst of it. I think there's many people who would agree with that in the Morgie community. Formerly, Ramey has myalgic encephalomyelitis slash chronic fatigue syndrome. So that's a synonymous term now with chronic fatigue syndrome. And she also has complex regional pain syndrome. Bless her heart. And formerly, she's part of a group she has dubbed Womies, W-O-M-I's, Women with Mysterious Illnesses. A shout out to all the Womies and... The momies, the men's with mysterious illnesses. Such conditions include MECFS, that myalgic encephalomyelitis, chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia also, and postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. Orthostatic, uh, orthostatic means like uh, moving in positions, like going from sitting up to to standing up or laying down to sitting up to standing up. So orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. I assume it means that when you stand up normally, you know, it would make your heart rate go up, but for some people, I guess it drops down instead. <clears throat> and I guess that's not explained. 
uh, one of these Morgulon type things that people say is all in your head. Uh, anyway, they disproportionately affect women, these, these mysterious things. They have unclear causes, complex but, debilita- but debilitating symptoms, and no treatments, and are hard to diagnose and easy to dismiss. According to the Institute of Medicine, 836,000 to 2.5 million people in the U.S. alone have chronic fatigue syndrome. Between 84, excuse me, hiccups, between 84 and 91% are undiagnosed. That clusters of MECFS, that's chronic fatigue, have followed many infectious outbreaks is noteworthy. In such events, some people get better quickly, others are sick for longer with post-viral fatigue, and still others are suffering months to years later. In one Australian study, 11% of people infected with Ross River virus, Epstein-Barr virus, or the bacterium behind Q fever were diagnosed with ME slash CFS after six months. In a study of 233 Hong Kong residents who survived the SARS epidemic of 2003, About 40% had chronic fatigue problems after three years or so, and 27% met the CDC's criteria for MECFS, which, you know, at one time they denied even existed. Uh, They now list it on their A to Z index, where we still are not included, but we will be someday. Anyway, many different acute pathogens seem to trigger the same inflammatory responses that culminate in the same chronic endgame. Many individuals in this community are worried about COVID-19, according to Ramey. You've got this highly infectious virus sweeping around the world, and it would be unusual if you didn't see a big uh, uptick in the uh, myeloencephalophy, whatever it's called, chronic fatigue syndrome, um, which is, you know, totally uh, scary. Especially, it's scary to think if for, I mean, I'm not saying that this is what happened because I simply do not have enough evidence to assert this, but if Morgulons, in my case, and in the case series of three here in Atlanta that I've been talking about ad nauseum since I started this podcast a month ago, um, if that is a post-viral uh, uh, syndrome, Morgulons of COVID. Boy, we are in trouble. We are in trouble. Thanks, China. Um, anyway, uh, so uh, this chronic fatigue is typically, typically diagnosed when symptoms persist for six months or more, and the new coronavirus has barely been affecting humans for that long. Still, many of the long hauler symptoms sound exactly like those that patients in our community experience, says Jennifer Bray, the executive director of the advocacy group. Uh, hashtag me action. Well, hashtag Morgie action too. Um, Because they sound exactly like, uh, not exactly like, but they sound a lot like patients in our community as well. Um, Leclerc, Akrami, and others have noted that their symptoms reappear when they try to regain a measure of agency by cleaning, working out, or even doing yoga. Symptoms reappear when you try to do something about it. That sounds familiar to me too. This is post-exertional malaise. The defining feature of MECFS is a severe multi-organ crash that follows activity as light as a short walk. It's also distinct from mere exhaustion. You can't just push through it. You feel much worse if you try. The MECFS community has learned that resting as much as possible in the early months of post-viral fatigue is crucial. Garner learned that lesson the hard way. After writing that quote, my disease has lifted. He did a high-intensity workout and was bedridden for three days. Uh, Don't get too cocky, Paul. He is now reading literature about MECFS and listening to his sister who has had the disease. We have much to learn from that community, he says. Come over here to the Morgan Corner. We'll teach y'all a couple things, too. The symptoms of MECFS have long been trivialized. It's patients disbelieved. It's researchers underfunded. Mm. We know. The condition is especially underdiagnosed among black and brown communities who are also disproportionately likely to be infected and killed by COVID-19 as the pandemic creates a large population of people who have symptoms that are similar to those of MESCF or CFS. It might trigger research into this and other overlooked diseases. I'm still waiting over here. Still waiting for any kind of information. Thank you. We would love to get some of that money. Um, That would be great. Several teams of scientists are already planning studies of COVID-19 patients to see if any become 
these chronic fatigue syndrome patients and why. I like to be studied for mortal lungs. Uh, can we get that study going? Bree says she would welcome such a development, but she also feels a, a lot of grief for people who may have to walk that path and grief for the time we could have spent over the last four decades researching this so we'd have a better understanding of how to treat patients now. No time like the present, better late than never is what I say to that. So some long haulers will get better and some morgies will get better too. And really we don't have to get any better to still be good y'all. We're okay. Um, it sucks and this sucks. The response to it is not okay. And, uh, we need better treatments. We need some better treatment. We need so many things, but there's, we're not broken, you know? Uh, we're just Scott Morgies. Uh, sucks. Uh, the body politics slack support group has a victory channel where people post about promising moments on the road to recovery. Hey, we should start that. Um, I don't think this shit ever goes away, but Hey, it might. Um, if it does let us know we're, we want to freaking cheer you on if that happens. Such stories were scarce last, last month, but more have appeared in the past weeks. The celebrations are always tentative, though. Good days are intermingled with terrible ones. It's a reverse circling of the drain, Vasquez said. It has gotten better, but I track that trajectory in weeks, not days. Um, the long perspective, the long view is always the better one, really, y'all. The COVID-19 dashboard from John Hopkins shows that 2.7 million people around the world have, quote, recovered from the disease, but recovery is not a matter of a simple matter of flipping a switch. For some, it will take more than the entire duration of the p- pandemic thus far. Some survivors will have scar tissue from the coronavirus's assault on their lungs. Some will still be weak and after lengthy stays in ICUs or on ventilators, some will eventually be diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome. Whatever the case, as the pandemic progresses, the number of people with medium to long-term disabilities will increase. Some science fiction and more than a few tech bros have led us to believe in a non-disabled future, says Ashley Shu of Virginia Tech, who studies the intersection between technology and disability. But whether through environmental catastrophe or new viruses, we can expect more exacerbated and new disabilities. Mm. The new age we're living in. In the early 1950s, polio permanently disabled um, a whole lot of the population And, uh, let's see, many of them were young. Um, in the early 1950s, polio permanently disabled tens of thousands of people in the U S every year, most of whom were children or teenagers who quote, saw their futures as able and healthy. She says in the sixties and seventies, those survivors became pioneers of the disability rights movement in the U S go team, go polio people. Perhaps COVID-19 will similarly galvanize an even larger survivor cohort. Perhaps collectively they can push for a better understanding of neglected chronic diseases. Yes. And an acceptance of truths that the existing disability community have long known. Yes. That not that I'm disabled or that you are, but if you identify as disabled, then your truth is your truth. And I am sorry to hear it. Um, that health and, uh, sickness are not binary. So perhaps collectively they can push for a better understanding. One of those things being that health and sickness are not binary. The, that medicine is as much about listening to patients' subjective experiences as it is about analyzing their organs. That being a survivor is something you must also survive. Ed Young is a staff writer at The Atlantic where he covers science. Great article, uh, Mr. Young. It is a great article. And uh, it really resonated with me as a morgy uh, hearing about... These people who, like us, have a condition that cannot be explained by the scientific and medical uh, community that we go to for help. And instead of just saying, hey, we don't know yet, they say, hey, um, we do know and uh, we don't know, but we do know and we know that you're crazy. Uh, It's anxiety. It's ADHD. No, it's not. No, it's not. (laughs) No, it's not. And you need to keep uh, your nose in the books 
um, and, and keep reading and keep doing experiments and, uh, making discoveries until you start, uh, you know, saying that, you know, why this is happening to me, because just not knowing, not trying to find out and calling me crazy. That doesn't work for me. Doesn't work for the long callers. Doesn't work for uh, chronic fatigue patients. Doesn't work for morgies. Doesn't work for anybody because that is, as far as I'm concerned, malpractice. Yes, malpractice. What else could it be? It's a total violation of the Hippocratic Oath and everything in the Nursing Code of Ethics. So let's just never forget that and never stop uh, fighting against that ridiculous, slanderous, libelous lie. So anyway, um, I had a great time getting pissed off as usual. I really do enjoy it y'all. Um, it's, it's, it's righteous anger, I think. Um, and it helps keep me on track, um, and out of the mindset of doubting myself, blaming myself or otherwise being hard at myself and internalizing any of the bullshit that has been thrown at me. Uh, because of the fact that I am now suffering with this Morgulons thing. Um, I enjoyed today. I hope you're having a great day. It's Friday. Have a great weekend and we will talk soon. Stay tuned.